Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this set of lessons is from the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official recording of the Church, every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. There are several other Come Follow Me resources to help with your Gospel and Scripture study. These lessons tend to go a little deeper into the doctrine than most resources. Hopefully this resource will be different enough from the others that you'll come back each week. On the Living Room Scripture Lesson website is a digital version of the lessons, which has more material than can be mentioned in the podcast. You can download that PDF resource and use it as you like. As with other online resources, you can like, share, and subscribe to the podcasts. Again, welcome to this Come Follow Me resource. I hope you like it. Hi, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me podcast. This is Brad Constantine, and this discussion is going to be lesson number 40, which is for the period of October 14th through the 20th, and it will be covering the books of Philippians and Colossians. So just a brief um, first question is, um, do we know that Paul was married or not? Uh, maybe we'll discuss that here in, in a few minutes. Now, with regards to Philippians, I want to give you just a little historical background and some information about this particular epistle. Uh, Philippi was located in what's eastern Macedonia, which is in northern Greece, on a major highway that linked Rome and Asia. This was the first city in Europe to receive the gospel. A woman named Lydia and her household were Paul's first converts there. Approximately ten years after his first missionary visit to Philippi, Paul was preaching the gospel as a prisoner in Rome. The Philippians, hearing of Paul's situation, sent sent somebody bearing gifts for him. He was to stay with Paul and assist him as needed, but a life-threatening illness forced him to return back home. Paul sent this letter of thanksgiving and counsel to the Philippians sometime around AD 60 to 62. Uh, the theme of this is that this is a, a letter of friendship, a letter full of affection and confidence, good counsel and good cheer. It is the happiest of Paul's writings for the Philippians were the dearest of his children in the faith. Um, also, uh, Elder McConkie said, Philippians is a sweet, refined statement into a number of gospel doctrines are woven, and our Bible is greatly enriched by its presence there. Paul's letters to the Philippians and Colossians, as well as uh, his personal letter to Philemon, were written while he was in the bonds of captivity. So this is while he was in, in Rome in prison. This letter to the Philippians is often called the happy letter. In Acts 16, when Paul was unjustly accused, illegally beaten, and unlawfully imprisoned, he terrified city officials by announcing that he was a Roman. And so this this uh, may be why the saints in Philippi were sort of left alone by the uh, city officials and government. And so they were able to practice their religion and not be hindered at all. It may be that Paul's price for silence regarding this breach of Roman law was that the rulers leave the church in Philippi alone. There are no great problems addressed in this letter, no stirring calls to repentance, no reproof or rebuke, but rather a gentle admonition to the believers to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Those fruits can fill our lives only as we follow Christ implicitly. Uh, this uh, Philippians suggests at least um, a few ways to, to do just that. So let's get into this. Uh, like I said, this is going to be a happy letter, so there's not going to be a lot of rebuking. Uh, in, in chapter 1, Paul is addressing it, um, it says that um, 
Paul and Timothy, the servants of Christ to all the saints in Philippi. Now, Philippi was founded by Philip, who's the father of Alexander the Great. That's where this, that's where the name comes from. Verse two, he says, grace be to you and peace. Again, he's greeting the Gentiles and the, the Jews. Um, down in verse 18, uh, what then notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So no matter what happens to Paul, he's happy to be able to preach about Jesus, even if that means he has to be in prison to do so. Um, and then in verse 27, there's a couple things changed here or an explanation necessary. Verse 27 says, Therefore, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now the word conversation, uh, the literal translation of that would be to live or conduct oneself better or oneself as a citizen. So he's saying here, let your conduct be as it becometh. Let our behavior become better. So chapter 2. Um, down in verse 2, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded and having the same love being of one accord and of one mind. He's telling us here to, to have unity, to be one. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here he's saying that uh, Jesus was preaching that uh, we can become like God. And we know from uh what the brethren have said, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. But Joseph Smith said, wherein then lies our Lord's equality with his God and our God? Is it not in that Jesus, crowned now himself with exaltation, has received from the Father all knowledge, all truth, all wisdom, and all power? Is it not in the same sense that all of the sons of God, as joint heirs with Christ, shall receive all that the Father hath? Is it not in that treading in the tracks of the Father, those who are adopted as his sons gain exaltation of their own? And so that's what our, that's what our goal is, is to become like God. We, we often get accused by the Christians that uh, we're trying to become gods. And Paul here is saying that, uh, that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And here's where the Jews got confused as to the Messiah. They were looking for a king Messiah instead of the servant Messiah, which Paul is mentioning here. Verse 8, And being found in fashion, or outward appearance, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God, hath, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That, in the, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. So we know that because of Christ and his atonement, that everyone will bow and acknowledge him as the Savior and as the Messiah. Verse, thir uh, verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, everyone's going to confess that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, mentioning here that the saints are being faithful and these are the, the ones that he is happy about. Not as in my presence only, but now, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, we can't possibly say, save ourselves. Here Paul is saying um, this is an exhortation to demonstrate by activity, by thoughtful, obedient effort, the reality of faith. But this must be done with a consciousness that absolute dependence upon self may produce pride and weakness that will bring failure. With fear and trembling, we should seek the strength and grace of God for inspiration to obtain the final victory. And that was by David McKay.
Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, by obedience, we can we can keep the commandments and, and receive our exaltation. But it's with God's help that we can do it. Elder McConkie said, to claim for ourselves the cleansing power of his blood, we must believe in him and in his Father, repent of our sins, covenant in the waters of baptism, to love and serve him all our days, and then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thereafter, we must walk in the light, keep the commandments, and overcome the world. Such is the plan of salvation for all men in all ages. Such is the plan that has been revealed from age to age, so that fallen men might work out his salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. And so that's the that's the goal here is to work out our salvation. Chapter three. Uh, let's go down to verse seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yet, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung or refuse that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Again, Paul is saying, I've given everything I can, um, and yet that's, that's what exactly uh, Jesus asked me, but I do it in faith. And so he, he says that faith is what's going to make the difference here, not just giving, doing all this, but it's faith so that we can't boast of our own, of our own selves. And then down to verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but that this, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Here he's saying to forget the past. Don't worry about what's happened before. Let's move on and look to the future. Verse 14, I press forward, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So what is he saying here? He's saying here that we can become like God, that we can, we can do that because of the Savior and his atonement. Verse 15, let us therefore as many be, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And so he's telling us here to, to reach to the end. Now let's talk about this perfection that's being mentioned here. Paul taught the necessity of pressing towards the goal of becoming one with God the Father. He stated, I press toward the mark for the prize. Uh, but the Greek word translated perfect is teleos. Elder Russell M. Nelson said uh, that the meaning of the word in general, uh, in general conference, teleos is an adjective derived from the noun telos, which means end. The infinitive form of the verb is tele, teleono, which means to reach a distant end, to be fully developed, to consummate, or to finish. Please note that the word does not imply freedom from error. It, it implies achieving a distant objective. In fact, when writers of the Greek New Testament wished to describe perfection of behavior, precision or excellence of human effort, they did not employ a form of teleos. Instead, they chose different words. The same word was used by the Savior in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Hence, to be perfect means to continue to the desired end and do not quit along the way. But to achieve the desired perfection or end, that is, to be like God, Paul explained the necessity to continue the holy walk until the end. He taught them to continue in what you have been given. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. And so that's what he's telling us here is to continue to walk, continue to, to move forward, uh, and then we will achieve perfection. We will become like God. 
Verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the, the word conversation here means, um, means to conduct ourselves. Uh, chapter 4, I want you to pay attention to, to verse 3 here. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So this word yoke fellow here, if you look down at the bottom of the page of your scriptures, it also says associate. But we need to look a little closer at this word because this may be a clue here as to Paul's marital status. In light of the special relationship Paul had with the Philippian church, one of the saints addressed in the Philippian letter deserves special attention. Paul made special reference to a woman at Philippi called his true yoke fellow. Um, Brother Wilford Griggs, in, uh, a Greek professor at BYU, wrote, I have a question. Uh, this is in the Ensign that was published several years ago. As part of his answer to the question, was Paul married? Brother Griggs wrote, uh, and then he quotes the two Greek words. He says, these words translated true yoke fellow are here taken as feminine and is a noun that means a wife. Ancient commentators believe that Paul was addressing his wife and this is the most sensible translation of the Greek in this context. If, we were, if he were married at the time, one would expect Paul to leave his wife with a faithful group of saints where she would least suffer from want and lack of support during his absence. Both her presence in Philippi and the love of the members there for Paul would account for the constant communication with the apostle. And if this interpretation is true, it is natural that Paul would ask his wife to assist some of the women who had done so much on his behalf. So this is uh, evidence here that we believe that Paul was married, and that's and that's why his wife is is living in Philippi, is because uh, this is a group of saints that are faithful and and they're being uh, not as not as bothered by the government as other places might be. And then notice in verse eight, this this verse might sound familiar to you. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are, are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Okay, does that sound at all familiar? Uh, sounds like Article of Faith number 13, doesn't it? Uh, the gospel embraces all truth. Every good thing comes from God. If the, tr if the world has any edifying principle, any sound practice, any true doctrine, it is automatically accepted by the true church. Converts to the church never forsake anything they believe which is good and true. They simply gain the added light and knowledge which God has given by revelation to his servants, the prophets. If you think about it, what are some of the things that the church has added that uh, weren't revealed by Joseph Smith, but we we picked up on because they were good and they were something that we should do? Um, you can think of Sunday school as being one thing, and then even the Boy Scouts program was another, although um, at the end of this year we'll be, we'll be leaving scouting. All right, uh, down to verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Again, faith in Christ will let us do all things. And verse 15, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Again, Paul is really happy with these saints that have done so much for him and for others in their donations to the poor and so on. And so this is a, a happy letter to the Philippians. All right, let's go to, to the next uh, book, which is Colossians. Let me give you a little background of this one. Colossae, uh, along with the larger neighboring cities, um, 
was a successful mercantile city in Asia Minor. The record is silent as to how the gospel was introduced to the Colossians. Paul referred to a local member named Epaphras as a faithful member, uh, a faithful minister of Christ. This may this man may have been converted by Paul in Ephesus during Paul's third missionary journey. It is believed that Epaphras took the gospel home to Colossae and it spread throughout the region. Just as the gospel flourished, however, so did an odd blend of Jewish religion and Greek philosophy. In time, this heresy made inroads into the congregations of the saints. Epaphras, unable to deal with the growing acceptance of false religion, visited Paul in Rome for counsel on how to combat the threat. And so Paul wrote this letter sometime around AD 60 to 62. The theme of it is that the effect of the encroaching heresy was to diminish the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Paul corrected this false idea by teaching that Christ is the very image of God, that he is the creator, the head of the church, the first to be resurrected, a member of the Godhead, the redeemer, and the hope of the gospel, which we which ye have heard. And so that's what this is about. So um, though it is difficult to determine the date and precise location of Paul's whereabouts, it is likely that Colossians was written from Rome in about AD 60 while in prison. It would appear that Paul had not visited Colossae prior to his writing this letter. Not many years later, the town was ruined by an earthquake and its site was not excavated until the 19th century. This letter is one additional evidence of the impending apostasy that would engulf the Christian church after the death of the apostles. The message of the to the Colossians can be summarized in three major topics, the preeminence of Christ, false doctrines that seek to undermine the doctrine of Christ, and the principles that will help us become like Christ. So uh, let's go into this one, chapter 1. Um, he mentions in verse uh, 7 his greeting to Epaphras, uh, uh, being a faithful minister of Christ. Verse 2, he says again to the grace and peace to, to show his greeting to the Greeks and to the Jews. Verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Elder McConkie said that it is the spiritual understanding or knowledge that sets the saints apart from the world. Others may equal or excel them in scientific knowledge and philosophical comprehension or in any of the things of the world, but only the saints of God do or can understand the things of God, for these come by revelation. For instance, only the saints understand the atonement, comprehend the doctrines of salvation, enjoy the gifts of the Spirit, receive the spiritual rebirth, exercise faith unto life and salvation, and have a sure hope of eternal life. Uh, but others have uh, gifts that are sometimes greater than ours. Verse 13, uh, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us from the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through the, his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Christ is in the image of God, the firstborn of every, uh, of every creature. So Jesus was the firstborn of all of Heavenly Father's children. Uh, and he is also the literal son of God, the father, the only begotten or firstborn of the father in the flesh. He's the firstborn from the dead also, being the first to be resurrected. Uh, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, 
by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so here he's saying that Christ is the center of everything, that he's the firstborn. Christ is found in every godly attribute in his perfection, which means that the Father dwells in him and he in the Father. And also that through the atonement of Christ, coupled with obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, men are reconciled to God and to Christ. And then down to verse 23, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, uh, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. In other words, uh, the reconciliation remains in force only on the conditions of continued obedience. Uh, and will everyone hear the gospel message? Did we hear the gospel message in our premortal life? Will everyone hear the gospel message either in this life or the spirit world? The answer is yes. Everyone will be taught the gospel, whether on this side of the veil or the other. Um, what Paul probably wrote was that the gospel was, shall be preached to every creature which is under heaven. This is what we commonly say today to emphasize the importance of the gospel message and the universality of its application. However, two, two truths are known with reference to who has and who will hear the gospel. One, every living soul did hear the gospel in pre-existence. And two, every living soul shall hear the gospel again, either in this life or in the spirit world before the day of resurrection and judgment. And that's from the Doctrinal New Testament Commentary. All men, however, will not hear it while in mortality. Rather, untold hosts will hear the, the message in the spirit world. For the eternal decree is that <clears throat> there is no eye that shall not see, neither ear that shall not hear, neither heart that shall not be penetrated. And that's Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 2. So everyone eventually will hear the message of the gospel. And then it will be up to them to make a decision to, to accept it or not. <clears throat> Chapter 2. Um, Verse 6, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. <clears throat> so he's telling us here to, to walk with Christ, to be one with him. Verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, Christ does not lack anything. <clears throat> and ye are, <clears throat> excuse me, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all, principally and power, principality and power. In other words, his grace is sufficient for everyone. And then verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and, your, and the circumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. Uh, having forgiven you all trespasses. So as we accept Christ, then we will become one with him and we will become forgiven. And as mentioned in, in other epistles, that we will be justified and be sanctified through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 then talks about, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In other words, since we're going to be resurrected, we should act like it. We should act like we're we're uh, going to become like our Heavenly Father. 
uh, verse 2, set your affection or your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. In other words, we're dead to sin and sealed up unto eternal life. And that's what our goal is, to, is to become sealed up unto eternal life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. And as the Book of Mormon mentions, that we will, we will be one with him and see him as he is, and we will see ourselves as we are. Uh, down to verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness and of mind, meekness and long suffering. So he's telling us here to put on ourselves the, the attributes of godliness, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So we should be forgiving and be very forgiving of other people. We can't be forgiven unless we forgive first. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to that which also ye are called in one body, <coughs> and, be, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and, and, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here's good counsel then to be singing in our church meetings, isn't it? Uh, Elder Clark said, Sometimes I feel that we get nearer to the Lord through music than perhaps through any other thing except prayer. Uh, verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, <clears throat> love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So it sounds like there might have been some issues going on with the saints here, and he's just giving them some good counsel here. Again, uh, the loving kindness of husbands and fathers and to become like Christ, to, to be the one, uh, to be one like Christ as a husband toward their family. Um, I think that's probably enough here to talk about. Uh, we've talked about Paul probably being married. I wonder if it might have been Lydia, but don't know that for sure. Uh, but anyway, um, that he had uh, his wife probably staying in, in Philippi where there was some safety and some other members of the church that were there to help out. I bear testimony to the truth of the gospel, that as we study the New Testament, and the, especially now the epistles of Paul, that that will help us to draw closer to our Heavenly Father. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you like this podcast, you can share it and like it. And I'll see you next time. Bye.